I'd like to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. It's the 16th chapter, begins with the first verse, and goes through the 13th verse. And if you have your your phone or an iPad or something with you, you can follow along there. Of course, we have Bibles all around the room if you'd like to follow along there as well. This is a, uh, well, just listen. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, Well, what will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what I will do, so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? And he answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, And how much do you owe? And he replied, A hundred containers of wheat. said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The bookshelves are filled with management literature, right? If any of you have, have been, have worked anywhere, and have and have risen to a level where you're gonna where you're gonna have a purview over people, and you want to get some education, you just go to the Barnes and Noble, go on Amazon, whatever. Look, and you can you can find you can find book after book after book after book on good management, on good management. And what do most of you find in most of your organizations? Not great management, right? Bad management. Yeah, or toxic management. I mean, it's really interesting. You read the literature over and over and over again, and all the gurus, all the people who, who, who know what they're doing, who've done the research, who've, who've been in positions of leadership, who've done this, stuff, basically say, you know, if you take care of the people, everything else takes care of itself. If you take care of the people, everything else takes care of itself. That... That, I mean, part of management is is um, is doing doing um, doing the things right, isn't it? I mean, you want to you want to you want to have a good process. You want to make sure that what comes out at the end, the widget or whatever you're producing, is is a good quality thing. You want you want all that. But management is also doing right things because you could you could have this great process and do all this, and the thing that you're working on is just not worth it at all. The outcome is 
is not any good at all. So, so we have this literature on, on, on great management, and, and you can go read that. You can find all of that. I, just, I love to read all that stuff. I wish, that it actually, I wish people actually put it into place, and we're going to talk about perhaps why people don't um, later on in, in the message. But, but what's interesting then is, is then, so here's a lesson on management from Jesus. Here's a lesson on management from Jesus, and in the moment where you're going, what? I mean, if you were listening to that, the wealthy guy has a manager. We, we, back in olden times, they would have called them a steward. Steward was the one who, who had all, he really had all of the power over everything that the that the king or the or the wealthy person owned, they could they could make decisions on behalf of that person. They 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 made sure that the farmers did what they were supposed to do, sold, bought and sold everything, and but not they didn't own any of it. None of it belonged to them. And so here's this so here's this manager who's who's managing stuff, and the and the rich person finds out that he's being dishonest in some way. That he's that he's that he's been, and we don't know. It doesn't say Jesus doesn't give us a clue as to what he's been doing. Was he was he, you know, was he skimming off the top? Was he, you know, what was he doing that was dishonest? We don't know. But basically, he comes and he has a talk with his manager, and he's like, listen, um, yeah, you can no longer be, you can't be my manager anymore. You, I know what you've been doing, blah, 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 blah. So the manager is like, ooh, well, I went to Harvard and Yale, and um, I like getting a manicure every week, and so I, I don't, I, I'm not going to go dig, you know, um, I'm way too proud to go out and beg, so I, I better figure something out here. And so, um, you know, in good businessman fashion, he, he, you know, the ends justify the means. And so he's like, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll ingratiate myself with the, with some folks because then maybe they'll, they'll, you know, they'll look kindly upon me because you know I'm losing my job and and I'll, I've done them a good turn. And so then you know, I'll be able to, to, to have a place to live. And so as you hear, he says, oh, well, write this down, write that down, um, and, and, and this, that's where we're going to go. And it's so interesting because if you think about some of the other lessons that Jesus teaches, there's always a little twist, you know, there's always something that you're not, maybe not expecting. Like in the Good Samaritan, you, you never, I mean, we do, but back in that time, they would have never expected him to praise the Samaritan. Other places where Jesus gives this little twist. And here the twist, I think, for us is the wealthy man commends the manager. He says, wow, you, you've acted really shrewdly here. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Now, he doesn't say that he's going to keep his job, <laughs> but he says, you, you've acted shrewdly here. And then Jesus... Jesus adds this. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And, and, and this in verse 9, um, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what that means, so we're, we're going to act as if it doesn't, isn't there. We're using the Jefferson Bible this morning. I mean, you know, we're just going to cut that out. I tell you, go study it. It is the most confusing, confusing verse, one of the most confusing verses in the Bible. Dishonest wealth 
or unrighteous mammon is really some of the other ways to do it, is really, I think, what it's trying to get at. It's, it's almost like a Jewish euphemism or a Greek euphemism for worldly wealth, like the money of the world, like the currency of the world. And, and especially for Jewish folks, that would, that would not have had a good connotation in that time. Like, like dealing with the money of the world was not, was, was not something that was looked highly upon. Um, people who people who dealt with the Roman money and all of that, the tax collectors especially, were seen as unclean all the time. Handling money made you unclean. This sort of thing. It's really an interesting, interesting sort of thing. So, so when you hear, at least for me, it was helpful that when you hear dishonest wealth in some other place, unrighteous wealth, um, all that sort of thing. Whenever you hear that, to think of that they're talking sort of about worldly wealth in, in a negative connotation of worldly worldly wealth. But I'm still trying to figure out this verse. I mean, I, I worked on that, worked on that, and I, could, I couldn't come to anything where I, could, where I felt like I could say anything um, very particular about, about that verse in the relationship between make friends for yourselves with worldly wealth so you'll have an eternal home. I, I just, I'm still trying to sort that out. So I'm sorry that I didn't get there. Maybe you will if you do, let me know. But as I looked at the rest of this, as I looked at the rest of this, Jesus doesn't commend, doesn't commend the manager for what he does. He makes an observation. He says the people of this age, basically, the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. He's saying something about the fact that, that the children of this age um, understand currency and how you use currency to get at what you want. Because isn't that what the manager did? He, he made it so that he was sort of giving a, a, a break to these other folks so that hopefully he could ingratiate himself with them. Um, there's a word for that. Um, we call that quid pro quo. I'm going to scratch your back, you scratch mine. Right? It's how we, it's how we do business a lot of the time, you know? Um, you do this for me, I do this for you. It's, if you think about a contract, that's what we do. I'm going to do this, you're going to do that. It's, it's, very much, it's, 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 it's just one of those things that we do, and, and in some sense, very, very helpful. But Jesus, for whatever reason, is pointing out, is just saying that the children of this age, that they get that, that they get how to use this worldly wealth in order to ingratiate themselves or in order to make friends for themselves or in order to to push forward whatever their, their, the end is that they want. Now, he doesn't say that that's a, necessarily a good or a bad thing about what they're actually doing. Just this morning in the, in the New York Times, um, there's a big expose about our, one of our presidential frontrunners and about how he's done most of his uh, real estate deals in the city of New York. And most of that's been, um, most of the reason why he's been able to do a lot of these deals is because of enormous tax breaks that he's gotten from the state and from the city, um, some of them that have never been heard of before and will never be heard of again. I mean, just, it is. He, on one building, he has a 40-year tax break that's been to the tune of, of like over $400 million that the city has not been able to recoup because they gave him this tax break. So, um, and I'm not commenting on whether that's just or unjust, I'm just saying there's somebody who seems to have the ability to use the unrighteous mammon, right? The, the money of the world, the currency of the world in order to get what he wanted. 
Jesus says, wow, the children this age, are they get it more than what the children of light do. Wise management, what is it? When you look at it in, in this term, what is, what is Jesus trying to, to say to us? And then he goes on, this tagline here, on these few verses here, whoever is faithful in little is faithful also in much, which almost seems to be a direct contradiction to the manager, right? Because he doesn't seem like he had been faithful to the wealthy person. Whoever is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. I mean, if you cheat on your taxes, you're probably going to cheat on other things. It just, it just is. Just one of those things. When you, you start, you know, I mean, sort of a joke, you know, you start stealing pencils from work, you know, pretty soon you're going to take other, th- you, you might take other things as well. It's just one of those things. You sort of open the door to things and, and then you, be, you can begin to walk through them. If you have not been faithful, this is interesting. If you have not been faithful with the worldly wealth or the dis, dishonest wealth, who then will entrust to you the true riches? That's really interesting. That Jesus then is saying that there's something about how, how we deal with what, we've, what we're being given in the world that has to do with then how, how, we, how we are entrusted with that and how we use that, that then reflects somehow on, on, on what we might receive as the true wealth. True joy, true wonder, true communion with God. And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? This is just great. I mean, if you could, you could just spend a day a week meditating on some of these, I think it would really produce some great dividends. Like, what does that mean? What, what am I being entrusted with? And how am I, and, and, and what kind of job am I doing with that? How am I being faithful with that? Have I figured out the ways of the world and how that works? Not so that it's just to my own good end, but to the good end of God. That would be where I would want to go with that. No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God and wealth. That ought to make us think a little bit. Because, for the most part, in, in the currency of the world, it's, it's all about wealth. You know? The more you have, apparently, makes you a better person. You must know what you're doing. You must be a great businessman. Well, that's not necessarily true. There are a lot of people who seem quite wealthy, or who are quite wealthy, who, who, have, who have gotten there by hook and by crook, as we might say. You know, they've used that dishonest wealth in a dishonest way to get whatever it is that they want, to, to feed their ego, to, to, to do that. And let me tell you what, wealth and money is an untiring taskmaster. You talk to folks who have made it, I mean really made it, 
the 0.001% of the 1%, and you know what they're going to tell you, almost all of them? They don't feel rich. You just recalculate. You just, you just, you just, you just recalculate what your, what your parameters are. Recently, I was having a conversation with a friend, and, and, her, and her, uh, her best friend um, was an attorney and, and done very, very, very well for herself, and, but then she got divorced, and then now she's, she's, marrying, a, she's marrying a doctor, and, and they're, now looking at, they're now looking at where they're going to live, and he's getting offers to go to these different places. And she, and she called her friend, and she said, you know, I just don't know how, how we'd ever move to XYZ location. I mean, I just... I haven't been able to figure out how we're going to live on $350,000 a year. Well, she'd gotten used to living on whatever it was. And so the wealth is an untiring taskmaster. It's like, hey, if this is our standard of living, we need to go to the Caribbean four or five or six times a year. I mean, you've got to generate some real money in order to be able to do that. Again, I'm not saying that's good or bad. It's just an interesting thing. It's an untiring taskmaster if what drives you is the wealth. If what drives you is the wealth. John Rockefeller, you know, the, the great tycoon, you know, Baron, um, when asked uh, after he'd become so wealthy, I mean, just beyond anybody's imagination, they asked him, well, how much, John, how much is enough? You know what he said? The next dollar. That's like free beer tomorrow. You know, you're never done. Like, you're never there. Like, free beer tomorrow, you never get free beer. With the next dollar, you, you're never done. You just got to keep racking it up. You got to keep pushing it. You got to keep doing it. So what's Jesus, I think, trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us to be careful. To be aware. To learn what it means to be given everything and to be stewards of it. Because you and I, as people who are, who Jesus would call the children of light, we are the ones who are asked to be following Jesus in a way that leads us to seek the things of God first. To seek the things of God first. To serve one master and one master only. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, we're, that we need to live in poverty to do that. Though, in some respects, when you listen to stories of, of people who have almost absolutely nothing, there are times when it, it, it seems a lot easier for them to follow God than it does for those of us who have a lot of cushion. Because we think we've got a lot more to lose in following God. One of the things that helps break this thing about wealth and about money, um, just from my own experience, is when, when Jennifer and I began to tithe, when we said, you know what, 10% is going to the church, um, it began to reorganize our thinking about how we spent money, about what it was for. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll be real honest with you, I mean, there are times... Um, when, when, when we're writing that check, or when I'm writing that check, or whoever's writing the check, and, and I may not be the most cheerful giver at that moment. You know, I mean, cause I'm like, okay, God, you know, you've asked us to do this, but you also gave me a broken down car. 
You've asked us to do this, but I've got a kid to send to college. That's asked us to do this, but, 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 but. And you could but all day long. But when you get God in God's rightful place in your life and you begin to orient all things there, you figure it out. You figure it out. It's like all water goes to the same level when you put it into something, right? When you put your life in a direction that's following God, everything else begins to fall into place in its rightful place. You begin to figure out how not just to do things right, but how to do the right things. You realize that this life is not a short-term prerogative, but it's a long-term game. And that God was never playing for the short term. God's always been playing for eternity. And I think that's what's often not so great in our businesses. For most businesses that are publicly traded... You know, it's that quarterly report that drives them. And I don't know about you, but um, in three months, it's hard to move much forward in your life. In five years, you can move a lot forward in your life if you stay the course. I think we're often wrong-headed because we, our brains and our economy and all that is very focused on short-term gains. God is focused on eternity. And that's the invitation that we are brought into. We wisely manage when we think about the long-term game, when we think about not just what happens today, but how that influences where we're trying to get to with God, where God is leading us. That hopefully the decisions we make today are are leading us toward that place, that that, that that is wise management. And that's why in, in, the, in the church, as, as I, you know, I'm asked, to, I'm asked to be the moderator of the session. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the teaching elder and the moderator of the elders that sit around that table. And we all have an equal voice except for I'm asked to lead. I'm asked to be the one that, that tries to set the agenda and move things forward and, 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 to, and to educate and, and, and draw them in. And, and so often, you know, we look at stuff and we're like, wow, this is killing us short term. We've got to start, we've got to think long term. How, how, does, how does this program, how does this thing help us get to where we're going with our mission and our vision and our values? Oh, this looks like a great opportunity, but is it just something short term that is not really going to, that's going to take a lot of work and not really pay much dividends in terms of where we're going? Those are questions that we ask. When we asked, when we asked the congregation about some things that they wanted in terms of the facility, um, the congregation came back to us and said, we'd, all, we'd like to have both worship services in the same space. We'd like to have um, bathrooms refurbished, you know, so we don't feel like we're going into you know, a 1950s high school. Uh, we'd, like to, we'd like to have that, you know. We'd like, to, we'd, like to, we'd like to have a gathering area where everybody goes through every day. We, we, you know, just... And so, we, so as we looked at that as a session, we said, okay, well, how does that help us long term? What does that do for us, not for this generation, but for the next? And then if we're going to do something like that, how do we do this in a way that then in 10 years from now or 15 years from now, hopefully 
the first question that, that our children and grandchildren ask is not, what were they thinking? <laughs> that's the hope anyway. They'll do it anyway, but that's... And so those are the, those are the things, as, as we think about wise managers, those are the things that we think about on, on sort of the congregational level. And so I, I, I mean, I want to encourage you in that, that that's when, when you put God in God's rightful place, when you're serving God, the other things fall into place. How you need to spend your money, where you need to spend your time. And let me tell you what, that's the greatest currency any of us have. If you ever have a point in time where you're saying, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just killing time. Hello, you're killing your life. That's the currency that every single person has. The greatest gift we've been given is our time. Just ask your spouse. Just ask your kids. Just ask your friends. What do they want from you? They don't want another check. They want your time. Well, depending on who you're married to, right? They might. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, time away from you, well, that's, yeah, again, push and pull, push and pull, okay. So, so to really be thinking about that, I mean, yes, I mean, this, this is a lot about money and possessions, and Jesus talks about money and possessions a ton in the scripture, it's great, but, but think about the resource that you've been given in terms of your time. Where is it going? Well, you spend a lot of time sleeping, but you, you're going to spend a ton of time at whatever job you do. So, you know, you might want to try to choose something where you feel like it's moving something really good forward. I mean, it doesn't have to be for a nonprofit. It doesn't have to be all this altruism. But, but someplace and somewhere where you're, you're moving something forward that ultimately affects people's lives in a positive way and then gives you an opportunity, you know, financially, personally, to move the things of God forward in your life. I think there's, um, in, oftentimes in our, in our seminary education, um, there's a bit of a bias against wealth. Because you could read the scriptures and you could, you could hear that in there. I don't think, I, don't, I, I personally don't think that, that, that God or Jesus has a bias against wealth. I think it's benign. It's what we do with it. It's sort of like technology. It's what we do with it. It's how we use it. An elder here one time said to me, he said, Joel, we need more good people making more money. I thought, that's really interesting. Because when you're someone who has, when you're, when you're following God first and foremost, the reason why you want to, to make more is because you want to do more with it. You want to give more of it. You, you want to help other people get a leg up, a step up, to have their own path, to give them opportunities to make their way in the world. And so today, if I haven't completely confused you, I just want to invite you into thinking about how are you managing your life? What are the priorities that you have? What are the, what are the things that you worry and think about first in your life? Because God's calling you to be thinking and worrying about the economy of the kingdom of God first and foremost in your life. Get those things right. And all the other things fall where they need to fall. May you be blessed this week as you consider these questions and know that Christ is with you in and through all things.
difficulty or joy. Amen.